0: Hello, welcome back. Today I'm honored to be speaking with Colonel Christopher Perry, MD, Chief Medical Officer for Madigan Army Medical Center in Joint Base Lewis McCord, Washington. Dr. Perry will give us an overview of substance use disorders in military personnel and in veterans. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Perry.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ahana. My privilege.
0: Thanks. So let's begin how do rates of substance use disorder compare among active military personnel, veterans, and civilians?
1: No, Thanks for asking. This is a great question and a problem that keeps coming up in the military. Before we get too much into it, I'd just like to point out that the things I say today are going to be my own personal opinions and do not reflect the official opinions of the Department of Defense, the Army, or Madigan Army Medical Center. I am a psychiatrist by training, and then I've sub-specialized in addiction psychiatry based on my passion for treating people with addictive disorders and substance use disorders. I've, I've just found over my career that these are some of my favorite patients to treat. And as such, I'm very sensitive to the problems we face, particularly in the military, now that I've served 20 years in the Army. And the rates are somewhat similar to the civilian population for active duty personnel for many substances. Our rates for alcohol use disorders tend to be a little bit higher than the civilian populations, but our disorder rates for other substances tend to be a little bit lower, primarily because of the testing we do. Now, there are many substances that we find that people use in the military that civilian people don't commonly use, and that's typically because they're not tested for. The other thing we find is that in our veterans, people who are no longer on active duty, they tend to also have rates similar to the civilian population, and, and in some cases, a little bit higher as well.
0: Why might military personnel be particularly susceptible to the development of substance use disorders? use
1: you know, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to the civilian population. They're young people. One of the things we find that I think is particularly affects military personnel is the idea that people who join the military tend to be high risk takers in their lives, and they seek novel stimuli. They seek new things in their life, exciting things. And particularly when you consider that there are more men than women in the military, and this personality trait tends to be more common in men, I think we find that this is one of the main reasons why people begin using substances the other thing we find that, again, is the same in the civilian population is adverse childhood events. People who have a rougher upbringing, a tougher upbringing, tend to be more prone and more likely to use substances. And we see that in the military the same way, way we do in the civilian world. One of the things we find, though, is that when people join the military, we do screen out a lot of people with the pre-existing substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. We, we test upon entry into the military, we test for drugs. And if we find marijuana or other substances in people's urine, those people are less likely to be assessed into the military, that we don't accept them into the military. So in some ways, we're able to screen out a lot of people with the pre-existing use disorders. But of course, many of these drugs don't stay in the urine that long. And so people are able to join the military anyways. Yeah.
0: You mentioned alcohol earlier. What are some of the other commonly misused substances in the military and in veterans?
1: Alcohol is by far the most common. And as you know, it's a legal substance. So yeah. it's it's harder to write regulations on how to um, identify people with alcohol use disorders The other most commonly used substance in the military is nicotine or tobacco. And again, that's both smoking and frequently in dip, chewing tobacco. We we see a lot of that in the military. People frequently will use it to stay awake on shifts or to kind of break up the shift a little bit when they're working odd hours. We also see a lot of THC or cannabis use in the military. And that's, again, reflective of society. It's a very commonly used substance that's legal in many states, but it's still not legal with the federal government. And so it's therefore illegal for soldiers and military members, service members to use cannabis. And it's still a, it, it's still a substance that when detected can get somebody separated from the military. The other substances, we still see some, but they tend to be a little bit less common. We see some amphetamine use. The amphetamine use tends more often to be prescription amphetamines that say somebody's son or daughter is taking for ADHD, that the parent might take it to stay awake a little bit or to concentrate a little bit better at work. And we find that frequently in urine. We occasionally find uh, opioids. Those come up from time to time in urine as well. Mm -hmm. But then I find that I end up treating several people for dextromethorphan use. And that's a substance found in cough syrup frequently. Mm -hmm. It's frequently called robo-tripping when people take it because it comes from robitussin. Or coracin and cough and cold is another common source of it. And frequently the soldiers call it Skittles because the coracine and cough and cold, the triple C is a small red pill that looks a little bit like a Skittles candy Mm -hmm. that the soldiers take. One of the other substances that just seems to be so dangerous, and I'm seeing a lot of it lately, is huffing. I'm seeing more and more soldiers huff because it's not, again, tested for in urine, but it has such a deleterious effect on people. It really it's one of those substances that really destroys the neurons in the brain so quickly. And it's, it's just so dangerous to see the soldiers use that. And I've just lately seen some very bad outcomes with that one. Mm -hmm. But if I can come back for a minute to the triple C back when I was a young physician, a captain, not too far out of training, I was stationed in Korea and having seen several of the soldiers get caught using the triple C because they would be brought in by their friends. Once their faces flushed, they had mental status changes. They had a very rapid pulse frequently and they'd be brought into the urgent care clinic or the emergency department. And that's how we would figure out what was going on. I began to look for those medications in the PX, the post exchange kind of our Walmart or target post. I just could seldom find the drug there. It it was never in stock. And so one day I decided to ask the manager about it. And we found the person responsible for stocking the shelves. And it was so enlightening because she told me that every Tuesday morning, she stocked that drug at the same time, but she would never put it on the shelf. That as she was stocking it, there were about four or five soldiers That would stand in line to pick up the medication directly from her and it was kind of sweet because she realized that she only had so much to go around so she limited each of the soldiers to five boxes of it not realizing that they were abusing this medication and misusing it so one of the things i did is i I worked with the post commander and what we did is we began scanning ID cards for people to purchase that medication. And the sales of dextromethorphan suddenly plummeted. It was interesting to see because prior to that, they were selling, I believe it was across Korea, I believe they were selling about 300 boxes a week of, of that medication. And then when we, all we did was we started scanning the ID cards, the sales went to almost zero in the summer and then in the winter, the sales would go up to 100 boxes a week. So you saw a nice seasonal pattern to it, which one would expect to see in a cold and flu medication. People don't usually take those in the summer.
0: Yeah. So what is the policy regarding substance use in the military? So when a soldier is
1: found to be using an illicit substance such as cannabis, methamphetamine, cocaine, The rule is that they're automatically begun in the process to separate that soldier from the military. Hmm. Now, the, the rule is not that the soldier must be separated, but the soldier must start the separation process. And then further along the line, they'll make the decision whether or not to keep that service member in the military. And one of the safeguards they have to protect this is we've got an MRO, a medical review officer who's responsible for reviewing the positive drug tests. And and I'm a certified MRO. And we review all of the positive tests except for THC because there is no accepted legitimate use of THC in the military. The regulation is written such that service members are not permitted to use medical marijuana either. And the service members know this. We provide education about this. But then there are legitimate uses for most of the other substances out there. Cocaine, for instance, is occasionally used as a local anesthetic, particularly for ear, nose, and throat physicians. Opioids frequently, people have legitimate prescriptions for if they have dental procedures. So we review their medical records and then we discuss it with the soldier looking for a legitimate use. And if there's no legitimate use, Then it's referred back to their commander who must begin the process of separation from the military and must refer them to substance use disorder treatment. I don't know if you saw, but there was recently an inspector general report that came out a few months ago that showed that the army's not doing as good as we would like to be doing with putting these referrals in. It it seems that between a third and a half of the soldiers who should be referred for treatment are actually being referred for the treatment they need. And then, like I was saying, the process goes on. They're seldom charged criminally for this, but they're frequently given what's called an Article 15 or non-judicial punishment or a general officer memorandum memorandum of reprimand. And from that, it continues the separation process. And then they have a right to have a board frequently. And that board then determines whether or not the soldiers should be separated or retained in the military. And the soldier's allowed to have an attorney presence to present information that may mitigate what happened and may present information as to why they should stay in the military.
0: Hmm. And would you say these consequences serve as effective deterrence against substance use? And conversely, would you say they prevent personnel from seeking help? I think they
1: do in a lot of ways. And before I get into this question too much, I think I would like to finish answering the last question. I just realized that I didn't completely answer that. I talked about the illicit substances, but I didn't talk about alcohol use. Mm -hmm. And so the regulations, when a soldier is discovered to have problematic alcohol use, for instance, an alcohol related incident, such as drunk on duty such as um, an arrest for public intoxication, uh, DUI, and even when the units begin to suspect that a soldier has an alcohol use disorder, the soldiers referred for treatment, and that typically doesn't get a soldier kicked out or separated from the military. But when a soldier Fail substance use disorder rehab or alcohol use disorder rehab rehabilitation treatment, that's when a soldier then is at risk of getting separated from the military. And again, I'm sorry, I'm using the term soldier, but I should be using the term service member speaking more broadly in the military. Those soldiers, I'm sorry, those service members receive treatment, and then if they continue to have evidence of a use disorder, it becomes important that we do look at separating those service members. And frequently when I'm treating service members and they're confused as to why their unit is separating them, I frequently will use what I call the McDonald's test. And I ask somebody, if you engaged in this behavior at McDonald's, for instance, not showing up to work because you were drunk, would McDonald's fire you? And again, the responsibility of somebody at McDonald's for selling hamburgers and French fries is far less than the responsibility of our service members. Mm -hmm. These are the people who drive our ships, who drive our tanks, who fire our artillery weapons. We give them all a rifle. We trust them with firearms. And if McDonald's wouldn't trust them to ask, do you want to supersize that? I find it difficult to believe that we would trust somebody to fire an M4 rifle. These are very dangerous weapons and substance use disorders create hazards. And and that's why we have to take this so seriously in the military. Hmm. Now, to to answer your next question, do I think that they serve as effective deterrence? Uh, Yeah, in many ways, I think they do. And I think that's why we find service members, unfortunately, more likely to use substances such as dextromethorphan or inhalants, huffing and whippets and such, because they know that there's a high likelihood that they're going to get caught through the testing program. And in some ways that, that does create that problem while it solves the other problem of preventing methamphetamine or heroin use, for instance. And then you ask the question too, does it prevent service members from seeking help? And in a lot of ways, no. We get a lot of service members who do seek help. But at the same time, there also are those who feel that it's stigmatizing to seek help. One of the things I frequently tell people is they're contemplating this is that seeking help has never separated someone from the military. It's never caused anyone <laughs> from losing their job.
0: Mm.
1: What has caused people to lose their job, on the other hand, is that their behavior while they're using substances. Mm. When somebody is drunk from alcohol and disinhibited, they engage frequently in behavior that they would not engage in sober and behavior that's dangerous. And that's the behavior that gets people in trouble and gets people separated from the military.
0: Yeah. You mentioned earlier that people are screened for um, substance use before entrance into the military, but Mm -hmm. do physicians routinely screen active personnel for substance use disorders?
1: We do. Yes. Um, Our primary care physicians, and I tell you, this is a patient because I get my healthcare in the military. It sometimes gets a little bit annoying when I go in for a cold or for something else and they're asking me all about substance use disorders. They actually do a very good job of using validated screening tools to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And every time a soldier seeks medical care, the rule is that those questions need to be asked. And I find in my experience as a patient that they very frequently are. I think we do a good job of screening By asking the question. Now, I think the other thing we find, though, is that the soldiers kind of know what we're asking and are frequently if they don't want to make changes, they know that they probably are going to lie to the person asking them the question. They're not going to admit to drinking a six pack or a 12 pack of beer on a Saturday night. They recognize mm. that that's going to get them referred, and if they're not looking to make changes, they'll frequently lie about it.
0: Mm. Um, on the outside, do physicians routinely screen veterans for substance use disorders? Again,
1: by regulation, they're supposed to. I have no reason to believe that they don't. Okay. I suspect they do, but I'm a little bit less familiar with that. Mm.
0: And so... What are some of the barriers active military and veterans might face when they are seeking treatment?
1: Well, in the military, the substance use disorder treatment is a command program. And so their Mm. commanders are aware when they seek treatment. And frequently, they will not seek treatment because they're afraid that there's going to be career implications to seeking treatment. Fortunately, over the last five years or so, the military has introduced programs that allow service members to seek care confidentially without their command knowing it. Hmm. Now, when the substance use disorder progresses to a point that it causes a hazard, that's when the commander does become aware of it. For instance, if somebody's drinking and driving and discusses that, then the treating clinicians required to tell the commander that this service member is drinking and driving and engaging in hazardous behavior because it's so risky. As you know, suicide's a problem in the military right now. It's a problem in our society Mm. and the largest risk factor we find for suicide in the military is substance use disorders. And the drug most closely associated with suicide is alcohol and that's really one of the big reasons why we take it so seriously. This is one of the reasons why we begin the separation process for soldiers, because it, I'm sorry, for service members, because we're trying to really help people make the changes in their lives that they need to, mm-hmm. knowing that this is such a high risk factor for suicide. And again, I, I'll tell you a little bit about another study that came out a couple of years ago, looking at the separations for substance use disorders in the military. When we looked at people who had failed rehab, not once, but twice, we found that about 90 to 95% of those people were in the army. And for people who were separated for having failed rehab three times, 100% of those were in the army. And so what that tells us, it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a black eye for the army. But it tells us that the Navy and the Air Force do much better at separating people for substance disorders after the first time that they're found to have used a substance or to have been caught or failed rehab, Mm -hmm. which the, the one way to look at it is that the army I guess, tends to give people a second chance and in some cases a third chance, whereas the other services are less likely to do that. But the other way to look at it is that the other services are recognizing how closely associated with suicide this is and with the other problems and and that they are separating those people much earlier. And in in many ways, I, I think it makes sense because many of the airmen are working directly with airplanes, and if they're impaired at all by substances, they create a much greater hazard than perhaps a soldier does, despite the fact that soldiers are carrying assault rifles, hand grenades, and other very serious weapons. Mm-hmm. And the Navy personnel are frequently driving our nation's ships and our submarines. And, and again, it's an order of magnitude greater, the hazard that they're able to cause than soldiers frequently.
0: Yeah. Finally, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I would like to add a few things. Uh, having done this now for many years, I, I'm very familiar with a lot of the clinicians who are treating the soldiers with substance use disorders. And I got to tell you, we've got some good people in the military right now. Primarily, there are civilian clinicians who are doing the majority of the treatment. And we've got people who really care about our service members and are, who are doing their best with very skilled interventions to help people make the changes they need in their lives to stop using. And I'd like to thank those people. I I know many of them I deal with on a very frequent basis and the stuff you guys do just impresses me on on a daily basis. And I'm so appreciative to see what we're doing for our soldiers out there and the other service members, because it's, it's really impressive the care we provide. If I can tell you another story, I I remember a soldier many years ago when I was first starting to do this, basically stole a bus and crashed it and was in many ways lucky to be alive and very fortunate not to spend a significant time in prison. Through the skillful intervention of many of my co-workers, we were able to give him the skills he needed in life that he was able to save his career. He was able to continue serving in the military mm-hmm. and really was able to turn himself around, which was yeah. just such a great success story. And so nice to see because he he had a serious alcohol use disorder. Mm-hmm. And boy, I can think of several stories like that, that I won't get into, but yeah, I could, I, there's just a number of, soldiers, who are success stories. And then, sadly, there's many who aren't, unfortunately, many who continue using even after they're separated from the military. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank you again, Dr. Perry, for this important discussion about addiction in the military community. And I hope you can join us in the future.
1: Definitely. And I've really appreciated listening to your podcasts and the people you've interviewed. I really appreciate what you're doing out there. I was chatting with the people around me here that we hope you go into a career in journalism. You've got a knack for this. Oh,
0: thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank
1: you. And it's nice to meet you and chat with you.
0: You too.